Hey guys, welcome back to the Waterlad Podcast, the number one rugby podcast on the planet, as voted by me. And as always, this episode is brought to you by the Swish platform, where you can donate to a charity while receiving a personalised video message from one of your favourite sports stars. Another huge week for Swish last week, getting Scott Barrett on the platform, who does join his brother Bowden, and I know how much everyone loves a Barrett. So there it is. The perfect gift idea for anyone in your family. Everyone loves the Barretts. And just for listening to Waterlad, you can get a $15 discount off your order by using the code WATERLAD. And like I mentioned, up to 70% of the proceeds do go to Kiwi Kids Charities, which is such a great cause. It's also super easy to use, and all you'll have to do is click the link in the description and then go and choose your star. Also, the great lad, Tim Bateman, has an offer for you that you do not want to miss. Listen to this. Cheers, Jimmy. Are you looking for an exciting career for life after rugby? My name's Tim Bateman, and I've been a professional rugby player for the last 17 years. My plan for life after rugby was to get into the well-being and recovery industry, so I built O Studio, New Zealand's largest well-being and recovery centre. O Studio has given me a career option where I can take advantage of the skills I've built through rugby. Despite the challenges of COVID, we've seen consistent growth in our business and we've decided to expand O-Studio throughout New Zealand and abroad. It's an exciting time for the wellbeing industry and we're looking for top lads to be a part of it by opening your own O-Studio. If you're interested, head to ostudio.co.nz slash lad to inquire. Back to the show. Okay. Oh, what a lad. Now, after the Craig Newby episode, there have been endless requests to get today's guest on, and for good reason. He's a New Zealand rugby legend, having performed consistently well for Canterbury and the Crusaders, which eventually saw him force his way into the All Blacks. He then moved over to the UK, where he became a god over there, winning back-to-back premierships with Leicester. And on top of all the rugby accolades, he is widely regarded as one of the greatest lads ever. It is the great lad himself, Scott Hamilton. Welcome, mate. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Mate, great to have you on. I mentioned earlier, but Noobs was not shy of throwing you under the bus with a few stories on his latest episode, and I think that's got all the listeners very keen to hear more <laughs> from the great Scott Hamilton. I, I couldn't think. I've got no idea what he could have said to be honest. Yeah, you know, I thought we had a great relationship. I'm actually, I'm actually going over to see him in a couple of weeks. He's um, kicking around in Belfast at the moment, so um, we're going over there to catch a bit of uh, 2020 cricket, Black Caps Island. So should be a good weekend. Jeez, that'll be loose. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, should be. Well, yeah, Friday, Friday, flying out Thursday, coming back Sunday. So um, oh. yeah, no, but no, we're taking the other half. So it'll be, we'll be. Um, yeah, we'll try and be try and be sensible. <laughs> no doubt we'll see one of you on the TV probably streaking. Mate, you, you, I could imagine you being a big streaker. No, mate, I've passed those days. I've passed those days. I actually I popped up to um, <laughs> Nottingham to watch day three of the test match in um, the England, England, New Zealand. So it was quite good. I went with another Kiwi, mate. We were about two two rows back from the boundary, about third third man. So we got you know, we got pretty close to uh, Trenty, Trent, lovely Trenty, got a selfie with him on the while he was uh, down there, and Kiwi mate brought some um, Eskimo lollies and some 
chips and kiwi dip and we were feeding up Neil Wagner, the twelfth man of the day, and he was he was flat loving it and the boys um yeah, the boys were loving it. It was quite good actually, it was quite good. We uh we did try and sneak into the um try and get uh, into the change room. The the maid I was with was trying to claim he was the um brother of uh, Daryl Mitchell but didn't quite fly with security. <laughs> Oh, that's good times. But one thing you probably don't know is that the first um, first few years of my career, I was actually labelled Scott Hamilton. Um, all the boys used to call me Scott Hamilton for the first two or three years of my career after you gave me one of the biggest don't argues uh, in a quarterfinal, <laughs> Tasman versus Canterbury um, at Jade Stadium. Not sure if you remember the try or the game, but um, mate, I, I feel like I'm getting to know myself here after I was called you for so long. Oh, well, mate, I, to be honest, my memory of games, I don't know if that's because I've had a couple too many knocks, but um, I don't remember, you know, individual games at all. I've had I've had interviews, with, I had an interview over here because Leicester played Northampton in the semi-final and a guy was ringing up and asking for, you know, can you remember this game and what happened? And I said, oh, mate, I, honestly, you know, I know I know where we finish in a year and things like that, but individual games, unless it's, a, unless it's something uh, that really stands out, I, I do struggle, but... Um, no, unfortunately, I don't remember. But I, do, I actually heard you must have passed that mantle on. I can't remember the um, the other blonde-headed, blonde-haired <laughs> winger that ended up play, coming over here. Denise got. Um, apparently, they were calling him bubbles. That was a long time ago. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Mate, I would have been quick to offload that nickname. <laughs> I tried to get rid of it straight away. <laughs> yeah. Well. No, it's a weird thing that nobody calls me it anymore, mate. Over here, no one. It didn't just didn't catch on. So. Um, no, it's uh, quite limited. Not not so much, not such a nickname culture really over here. True. How did you get that nickname? That question came up heaps. Um, it was if I was uh, I've got a big head, mate, large cranium, which you maybe not can tell, but you know if, if people try my uh, hats on, it's a, I'm, it's a nightmare going hat shopping, mate. Absolute nightmare. I've got a you know it, there are only a select few that can fit my <laughs> Swede. So it, I, I when I started high school, I was um, quite small, um, sort of in the. I think I was like at, when I went to boys high in third form, I was um, probably the fourth or fifth shortest out of a get out of our year of like thirty. Um, I grew obviously in high school, but my uh, I, I think I, let's just say I grew into my head at the time. They they thought my head looked like a bubble, or somebody did. It started, and um, yeah, it. Uh, it just stuck stuck for yeah for a long time really there's still a couple of people that, that call me over here well, you know when you run into you don't see them for a while but um yeah no it's uh yeah it's just mainly mainly Scott over here mate i would not have predicted that i thought it had a much bigger story behind it than a big head well i did i you know it was something i, I mean I, I sometimes if i if i had a couple of drinks i you know the chat up line could be used you know do you like blowing bubbles high on bubbles so um you know that was something that uh, don't, don't say it worked very often though to be honest <laughs> oh it's good stuff well but you did mention a little bit about your um time at schooling pretty keen to hear a little bit more about um what life was like for you growing up so i know you grew up in christchurch but um, what was the rest of your childhood like? Um, yes, I was on a, I grew up on a farm in North Canterbury, um, um, and then went to um, boarding school at the Mighty Factory. And yeah, I mean, I was I was a bit of a shy lad to be honest, yeah. um, and didn't really do a lot at school. I um, I was young for my year as well as I'm born in March, so I was um, 
uh, sort of six months behind most most lads, and um, I was because I was quite good growing up, you know, like the under 11s and stuff. I, I made the A teams right through, but I wasn't doing a hell of a lot to be honest. Um, just letting you know, um, my second year that's when Aaron Major started school, and I was playing 13, he was playing 12, and um, yeah, he was just dominating, absolutely dominating. He was just you know. Man, he was a, he was just a man back then, you know, and he sure. was uh, he was just kicking ass. I still remember him peeling off a, a left footed drop goal when he was about, I think he was either fourteen or fifteen um, from halfway, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. He was just he was just just head and shoulders above everyone else, and you know, you I suppose there there are guys that you see, you know, that do dominate, but he wasn't he wasn't big, if you know what I mean. He was obviously well built, but he wasn't like a a man mountain that was running through. He just had the skills. And um, you know, kick, pass, and run, and he was a guy that you could clearly see was going to do something uh, pretty special, and obviously he did. Um, but yeah, ended up. Um, so I had a good, good childhood playing rugby for Glenmark. Um, you know, kicking around the farm, and then both my brothers went to boarding school, so I followed them there for five years, and um, got to my last year of uh, four, seventh form, last year of school, and um, I thought I was going to get put into the second fifteen because um, I didn't see myself as a first 15 player, but they didn't even put me there. They put me in the thirds, which was a um, bit of a knockback for me. <laughs> didn't really want to play there because the thirds was sort of the, the team that nobody really wanted to play for. You either played first or seconds or you wanted to play social rugby in the fourths or the fifths. And then, um, But anyway, tried to get out of it, wasn't allowed, but subsequently turned out probably the best thing that could happen to me because I, um, I ended, instead of being a you know an average player in a good team, I was a good player in an mm. average team, and you know I, I was playing ten and kicking goals, and and all of a sudden I realised that I had to, you know, I had to do something if we were going to do all right because guys were relying on me. Whether it's you know when you had Aaron Major inside you, you didn't have to worry about too much. He he did it all anyway. But all yeah. of a sudden, you know, I was in an average, like I said, in an average team, and I was able to stand out, and, and it gave me a, a lot of confidence. And it, you know, something I sort of tell parents today. You know, I think. Sometimes kids need to take a step back before they go forward. I was certainly one of those because people love to see their kids in the A teams mm. and the top teams, but some some people don't respond to that. And I certainly, you know, I was just happy letting other people do their thing, and I was just looking after my little piece of grass and and trying not to stuff up. But then all of a sudden, yeah, like I said, it was um, it changed and um, gave me a lot of confidence. And I, you know, if I'd played second. 15 rugby you know who knows what would have happened I still would have probably been doing the same sort of things and um, and, and, and you know I suppose hopefully at some stage I might have ended up doing what I was doing but I think that was a big turning point um, and you know it was it was really good for me. Did you have high rugby aspirations at the time were you planning to make rugby a profession? Hell no 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 way in the world was I um even when I so I left I went to Lincoln Uni um, again, just following my brothers, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Just sort of did a marketing degree because that was the only thing that I sort of half took my fancy. Um, and played played for a year for the not for Lincoln Uni, but Lincoln Club. They had an under nineteen side, so played for them. And that just because a lot of my mates were, you know, a lot of the uni boys were playing there. But I was always planning on going back to Glenmark the year after, which I did. And I got a few lads from from Lincoln, um, and you know, like my brothers did, you know. They didn't, ha- um, you know, have any have any links anywhere. So I got them out to play for, for Glenmark either in Div One or Div Two, um, you know, and did that for a few years. And I sort of, I can't remember the exact years, but I, I made the the Cantabrians under nineteen, so the under nineteen Bs, 
um, which was good fun with uh, Wayne Burley and Richard Lowe were coaching. Um, good lads, those two. Um, Richard Lowe, <laughs> great man to have, have sit over breakfast before a game. He's got many a story. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, great man. Um, and, uh, you know, he's up from my, you know, sort of, he kicked around Glenmark for a bit as well, but um, I didn't really know him that well. But, you know, he was, yeah, good bloke, good man. And then um, I think I made it into the Canterbury under-21s after, um, after that. Um, but again, you know, like Richie McCall was in that side, and I still remember, you know, we weren't a great under-21 side, but Richie was flirting with the Canterbury NPC team at that time, and, and it's amazing. Like, when he played for us, we won, and when he didn't, we lost. You know, he, <laughs> he was that good. And even as a seven, you know, just not – and as I say, he's not running around palming people off and scoring tries, but he yeah. just made the break, breakdown. You know, they, they couldn't do anything because he's there stealing the ball, mm. and we're looking after our ball. And and you know it's uh, oh, yeah sort of an indirect his indirect influence on the game was just massive and um, yeah so then um, and then I got what was I playing so I was playing in the country still so I was playing for North Canterbury and Canterbury Country and I we we played again I think I was playing for North Canterbury or I can't remember but we played Marlborough and um, I did a ride of them I think I scored a couple of tries and and Marlborough came um, knocking on the door I think it was in in uh, Canterbury B at that time just being selected for Canterbury B mm. and I went to and I they said that I was looking for a job you know I'd finished uni I was trying to work out what I was going to do and Marlborough said they'd, they'd give me a job um, and then I remember Steve Hanson was coaching Canterbury and he, he got me in the office and said you know it's not all about the money and I said yeah I know but I said you know they're offering me a job it's a good opportunity and he said well what if we offer you what they are offering you, and bearing in mind it was like five grand or something, like yeah. you know annually, and that was all it was. But I said, "Oh, he goes, would you stay?" And I said, "Yep." So they signed me up in a contract, which, and I was only in the Canterbury B team, so no, no one was being paid. But when I say being paid, like I said, it was you know five grand. But certainly at that time, you know, I felt king of the king of the castle, obviously. <laughs> so I stayed and kicked around playing bees and really enjoyed it. Um, again, good, great, great bunch of lead. The the Canterbury bees is, was awesome fun. Um, and that was the time too. I don't know if they're doing it now, but you followed around the uh, the NPC team, so you'd play curtain raises and you know still be able to go out with you know stay the night in Auckland or Wellington or whatever and, and come back and um, yeah get probably get all the benefits of uh, of playing NPC. Obviously not financially, but but um, not the pressure was the way I saw it. It was a good good year or two in the beef, which yeah. was awesome. Mate, you would you would have been peaking off the, um, some of those travelling trips, overnight stays, bees, few beers after the game. Yeah, mate, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, like all the trips. I mean, obviously, once the you know when they started tightening the belts, and I think the the bee, you know, the bee timetable. Yeah, I, I they, again, I don't know what they do now, but I, you know, it sort of went away a little bit. Um, obviously, that's sort of the first thing that's going to go, but. Um, no, I think old old Fox. He was uh, manager of the bees when I was there too. So um, always stayed close to him. He had the uh, the CRFU uh, credit card, so you could get a couple <laughs> of beers on him if you stayed tight to him, which was always a good good option. And then you make your way into the Canterbury squad. Obviously, the All Blacks were still playing NPC back then. So, mate, what was it like going into that squad? So what happened was I I went to America actually. So I um, I finished uni. I didn't really want a serious job, so I got a job doing what my my older brother used to do just working at an auctioneer's. Um, uh, there's only a small, smaller company. There's like 
two, uh, three full-time people and myself who was sort of like three-quarter time. But generally, he'd, you know, my boss would look after me and you know try and give me my 40 hours and make sure I got paid and things like that. So um, I did that. And then at the end of that, I had a mate um, who was playing in California the year before. He said, do you want to come over? And, you know, the, I was like, yep, yeah, sure. So the club paid for your flights and then you just stayed. We stayed with a um, couple of fellas in the team and they go, you know, we just did a job, like a part-time job. And so effectively you just worked to pay your spending money. So we did that for four months over there, which was awesome. Really loved it. Um, you know, a good bunch of lads were in the middle of California. Um, and, yeah, we had a, we tagged along to a stag, to, stag do to Las Vegas and um, had an awesome had an awesome trip there, as you can probably imagine. I do remember we, um, uh, mate, I was with the Kiwi fella. I was with those. Those. Oh, so I went to America. It was just after September 11 too. So it was obviously a bit nasty. But we um, were about to leave, and um, the day we were leaving, we thought we'd just have one last look around the place. And then we went past, and there was a casino that was just down from where we were staying. That was offering dollar drinks. So we're like, oh, we'll just just have one for the road. And then we ended up doing. I don't know, nine or ten, um, in very quick succession, um, having um, uh, having just sort of woken up really, and then um, we, I don't know, so I, one of us did something. I'm pretty sure he did something because I've got a picture of him being uh, like escorted by an armed guard, you know, with the weapon drawn out of the casino, which is, and then I, I was allowed, to, I was told that we're not allowed to take any pictures in the casino, but I, I still got it at home somewhere, actually, a great photo of the of the police with his gun out, with his hand up, saying no photos to me, but um, yeah, we were, uh, I mean, most 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 people sort of, uh, once they heard from New Zealand, they loved us, you know, um, Americans tend to love the Kiwis. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Where was the question? I'm sorry, I jumped off. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. And then um, came back to um, New Zealand, and I wasn't in the best shape, and I missed pre-season, just started playing for Glenmark. But I still felt I was good enough to be in Canterbury Country, but then somebody got injured. I can't remember. One of the wingers got injured, and I got called in, ended up starting, and we were playing. Jeez, I couldn't even tell you who we were playing. We were playing, uh, must have been, if it was Canterbury Country, must have been Otago Country or Southland Country. We were playing in Haranui. Up in North Canterbury, and um, I played awesome, mate. Played, scored three tries. Just everything, everything I touched just turned to gold. And um, it was in front of um, one of the Canterbury selectors. And then he went back. And then I, I was um, so at that time I was living at home, just on the farm. And I was, I was actually working for. Um, uh, I'll, I'll mention me old boss Jeremy Rock. So I was, a, I was a sheep dotter. So for all the uh, un. Um, non-agricultural people out there you scan a sheep to work out how many uh, lambs are in it and then I would spray them accordingly so whether they've got no lambs, they've got one lamb or they've got two, or they're going to have an early one or a late one and then obviously that that, uh, means the farmer can draft them out and feed them and look after them separately so I just stood there spraying sheep uh, all day whilst my man scanned so I did that for a while and um he was he had work up up north in Kaikoura, and he said, "Oh, hey, can you come to Kaikoura?" And I said, "Well, they're naming the Canterbury team soon." Um, and he goes, oh, "I sort of need to know." So I remember going in to see. Um, must have been Ozzy McLean, I think. Was it Ozzy McLean? I can't even remember. I think it might have been Ozzy McLean at that time. Um, and yeah, I asked this, and I said, "I'm really, really sorry. Um, I don't, you know, I've got work. Um, if I'm selected, obviously I can't go because it'll clash." 
but if not then obviously I, you know my boss needs to know and he and he just goes you better tell your boss um he's gonna have to find someone else and I was quite I was quite shocked I generally didn't think I was gonna gonna make it but obviously I needed to ask the question so but bearing in mind this was a Canterbury team that was without all its all blacks at that time and at that time oh, yeah. it was 2002 so you know that that was a you know uh, Ben Blair Reuben Thorne you know all the majors um Stewart oh yeah the team was we were, we were probably missing 12 14 players in the all blacks Canterbury side so um yeah and then played played the, the first few games um all the All Blacks came back, um, and I um, I understood that you know that was going to be me going back down to the bees. But you know, again, I had such an awesome time at the bees. Loved the bees, um, so I ended up just going down there. It was you know I, I expected it and was comfortable with the decision. And then um, obviously at the end of the year, um, Dean's the Crusaders were selected, and again um, I wasn't even playing Canterbury, so I was like, there's you know there's no chance. Um, and it was it was. It was a toss-up, probably between me and um, Alessi Tupelai. Don't know if you remember him, but um, Island Winger, who was a big boy, he played some some good stuff for um, for NPC. He's a good player, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know, I expected him to to be there. And at, again, at the time, whoever was selected, we were well down in the in the picking order with um, you know Vunabaka, Ralph Blair, McDonald. Um, you know, uh, there was a couple of others as well, so we were, but, um, and Dean, I was, I'd moved into Christchurch at this stage, because, um, because I'd made Canterbury, and I was working at the old, um, Chris England's, um, former Canterbury Locks, uh, wood-turning place, I'm sure plenty of rugby boys have been through that, uh, mighty fine establishment to, um, <laughs> try and, uh, get some work and get some money together, um, so I got a call from Robbie Dean saying, do you want to come and have a meeting, and I was like, yep, sweet, and I, again, had no idea. I, I thought it was just going to be this is what you need to do, mate. We see you got some potential. This is a big off season, blah blah blah. And you know, I, I told my um, my boss that I had a meeting, and he was joking. Oh, he's going to tell you in the Crusaders, and we all had a laugh, and it was a bit of a giggle. And um, <laughs> and I sat down in front of Deansy, and he goes, um, "Do you want to be in the Crusaders? Do you want to be a Crusader?" He said, and I went, "Yep." And he goes, "Congratulations." And I remember sitting there thinking trying to get around because I'm in my head I'm like shit he's just told me I'm in the in the Crusaders and then and he stood up shook yeah. my hand and he said I couldn't he said I could give mum and dad a call but you've got to keep it to yourself and even you know I, t- I called up the old man and and I said I'm in the Crusaders dad and he goes oh well done he said so um when are they making the final cuts then and I said <laughs> no no that's it I'm in you know I'm in the squad of 28 it was it was phenomenal and it was actually the year that um it was the year that Ben Blair um, a couple of games after that, he smashed his shoulder, so he was out for the season. And then we got Brad Thorne in on the injury, in, injury dispensation, so it meant that um, we also I went up the picking order. So I ended up playing quite a few games, but again in that first year. But mm. should I felt out of my depth? I hadn't played anywhere near that level or trained, or you know, I'm just a I was just a skinny country boy, mate, <laughs> who didn't really know what the hell he was doing. So um, I, you know, I had had some awesome players around me, um, but it was a bit of a steep learning curve for me. Did you feel like you were getting better really quickly as you were playing? Because obviously your growth from the third 15 to now being in the Crusaders on the wing with surrounded by All Blacks, I think you're the only non-All Black in the side pretty much at the time. So did you feel like you had developed quite quickly to be in that position? Or like you said, were you well out of your comfort zone? Um, a bit of both. I, I, I got 
incrementally better every year, which I suppose most people would do probably say, I don't know, 14 through 18, but it sort of happened like 18 through 22 to me. So I was at back end of 22 when I made the Crusaders, so I was I was a little bit behind anyway. But, you know, in terms of weights and stuff, I was well behind. Uh, whenever there was strength testing, I don't know, you, I'm sure you've had plenty of guys on here that people that dodge um, dodge the, the bench press, they've got a shoulder injury or something because they don't want to embarrass themselves. I was doing that as much as I could. Um, just trying to, um, uh, but yeah, once, once I made the Crusaders, you know, you get into that routine of, um, you know, it was obviously the pre-season, the start, first pre-season is tough, but you get into the routine, you know, at the end of the day, you learn, you know, you can only push what you can push. You're there because you're a good rugby player, not because you're a weightlifter. And mm. obviously you've, you've got to do it to get to a standard and I did all what I needed to do. But as long as I'm getting better, you know, I still, I was still even over here when I came to Leicester, you know, um, Geordie Murphy, the Irish fella, he was the only fella that could, it was, it was weaker than me in the, in the weight room, but you know, he was a bloody awesome <laughs> player and played plenty of internationals as well. So it goes to show it's, uh, you don't need to throw the big tin around, but, um, the probably the best thing for me was um, was the two thousand and three NPC because I'd had two thousand and three my first year of Super Rugby and the two thousand and three was World Cup yes so all the All Blacks weren't playing so again there was a core right. a core group of you know Mertz missed, had missed out on so he was playing ten Scott Robertson I think was playing eight um, so those two were sort of running the show and there was a few other core lads that were that were in the Crusaders so um, I was playing 15 then as well and I, that was probably the year that really helped me um, we had the shield as well for a while until we lost it to Auckland you know we had some really good wins at home um, and it was a really fun year we didn't you know we lost a lot on the road but I, I'm trying to remember I just I know we lost to we lost our last last pool game against Auckland and lost the shield and that meant we didn't make the semis either so it was a bit of a disappointing year but good fun and that was a really good stepping stone for me because again it was I was sort of being looked at to be a, a not so much a leader but sort of a leader you know because I had had super rugby experience mm. where there's a lot of guys that didn't so again um, I think I've you know looking back I've always done better when I was given a little bit of responsibility mm. and you obviously were in a very successful Crusaders period so what what made that um, side so so good oh mate the yeah, I, I couldn't believe, like, sort of the 05, 06, 05 was the best team I've been in ever. Um, you know, you had um, Rico Gear was ripping it up on the other wing as well, scoring tries for fun. And yeah. um, I do remember, you know, when I first started, because I, I remember, because, again, I was really sort of naive. I had no idea what, um, I remember one one of my first games for Canterbury, I think, I can't remember, it must have been Canterbury, Mertz made a call, and I was at fullback on the wing, and I ran the wrong line. And afterwards, he goes, where are you going? And I said, oh, Oh yeah, sorry. I thought it was such and such, and and Mertz, you know, he's a lovely lad, and he, you know, he would never really chew you out unless. And he goes, oh okay. And then you know, when I look back, you know, a couple of years later, I look back, and I always cringe at that moment because I was like, you know, you're playing professional rugby, mate. You shouldn't be running wrong lines. You shouldn't be getting that. And that's sort of something I've always prided myself on, knowing exactly what I should be doing, and where I should be. And you know, that was I still still cringe at it now, even you know, doing that, but. And then when I'm in, I remember thinking, right, I've made the Crusaders now. You know, I'm going to have to, because I, you know, liked a beer and liked, liked a, you know, a night out. But um, pre-season tour, we're in Australia and sort of, I was just sort of sitting back seeing what the boys are doing and they were just, you know, ripping in, you know, Ralphie and um, 
all those lads and uh, Flinny and all that just charging, and I was just like, oh my god, this is awesome! It's just uh, pretty much the same as can be, but you get paid a bit more, and you know you're playing better footy. And um, you know it was it was a real good social time back then as well. I and mean, obviously it was um, you know it wasn't like we were boozing midweek or anything like that. But once the game was over, generally a Saturday night was a was a good night. Damn right, <laughs> mate. That's interesting. I always thought it was mainly the Highlanders. Obviously, Noobs talked about a lot of um, his post-match antics, but I always thought the Crusaders would have been a little bit more serious and a little bit less drinking, but um, back in that era, there was still plenty of that stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was. I mean, and, and, you know, I walked into a successful side as well. They'd done really well. So, um, I mean, the guys knew, you know, when you were training, you train. I What I didn't mm. realise, what really was my opening, because I'd only ever been in the Crusaders environment, and then when I made the junior All Blacks in oh. 05, might have been 05, made the Junior All Blacks. And we played Australia A and we did a tour of like Tonga, Samoa, Fiji. Awesome, great time. Um, Ian Foster was coach of that side actually, so um, I do have a bit of background with him. But um, but yeah, what I realised is when all the teams came together is that, you know, everyone was sort of similar off the field, but once it sort of got on um, to training and just preparation, you could see the Crusaders boys were a bit different. Mm. Um, just a little bit. I don't know, just, it's hard to put your, I don't know, but a little bit more professional. That's the way I saw it anyway. Yeah. And I, I came away from the Junior All Blacks thinking, that's why Crusaders do well. That's why we're so consistent, because our boys have, um, I don't know, we're just a little bit more in tuned and a little bit more now about when, when it's when it's good to relax and when it's time to, to switch on and do what you need to do. Mm. That's interesting. And I, I talking to a lot of the guys, I think it's pretty um, consistent message across the board that they just do that extra little bit um, off the field that makes them so successful. So it's interesting to hear that. But you also mentioned um, how surprised you were when you made the Crusaders. Geez, you must have been surprised when you made the All Blacks. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, there was a bit bit of chat, I suppose, at that stage because, again, I was, you know, we'd come off the back of 05, which, as I said, you know, I had a really good Super Rugby season. I was... Um, um, I think Leon was out for a couple mm. of injuries, so I cut up a game, cut a couple of games at fullback. Um, I think I generally had started against. Oh no, Caleb Ralph might have been playing thirteen actually, because I think he'd moved in from wing to thirteen. We must have had an injury or something. Something had happened anyway, and then so I was having plenty of game time on the wing and scored quite a few tries and um, and loved it. And then that went fed into the 05 MPC, which we won. Um, that was the Canterbury side. I remember at the time, there's a photo of us like singing the national anthem, and I, at the time, I was the only player not to represent the All Blacks. But obviously, that changed a, a year later. But you know, you don't really see that now. You know, a, a, an NPC side that's just got um, 14 of the 15 starters have um, have pulled, pulled on an All Black top, um, and then. Super Rugby 06, again, we weren't as dominant in 06, but we, we still did all right, and that, that culminated in the in the old Fog, fog Bowl final against the Hurricanes, which was a, a nightmare for any fan, anyone watching. But anyway, we didn't care too much. So we, um, Casey Lalala scored, I think, the only try, and we had a, had a good win, and we were just we were back, we were back in the change room, as you do, and Denzi goes, um, oh, can I have a word? And I was like, oh, shit, what have I done? I was trying to think what I'd done wrong because, I mean, why the hell is he wanting to have a word with me um, um, after we've won? And I was just, I couldn't, you know, we went outside and he goes, oh, congratulations, you're going to get named in the All Blacks tomorrow. And I was like, oh, shit, wow. You know, double buzz, you know, we've just won the Super Rugby title, just been told you're in the All Blacks, you know, we're, we're 
probably starting me first or second beer, just thinking, and he said, right, you've got to be, um, you've got to be at Jade Stadium at 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever, and I was like, okay, that's cool, um, so I did, yeah, we ended up, we had a good night, obviously celebrating, and um, and I, I remember the best part was telling the old man, like afterwards, um, obviously, again, you weren't allowed to tell anyone, but I told the old man at the after match upstairs, and, you know, it was probably one of the best, best moments of, one of the, certainly one of the best sporting moments, just seeing his face, you know, because it's been, yeah, as, as you know, your parents do everything for you, travel, you know, I had two older brothers, they were forever, you know, there was only two of them, they all had to get three boys to three different venues for God, know, God knows how many, you know, winter Saturdays, and probably summer as well with tennis or cricket or whatever, and, you know, they, they went everywhere for us, so it was, um, that was probably, yeah, it was, that was pretty special. And what was it like going into that all-black camp? Um, yeah, I mean... Again, like so, we had a we had an we had a home series against Ireland to start with. I don't know if it was one or two tests. I think it might have been two tests. Um, I yeah, I mean, it was, again, real sort of eye opening. I sort of felt like um, I suppose a lot of like when I started the Crusaders, felt like I didn't deserve to be there. Felt a little bit awkward. Um, yeah, and then I was on the bench against Ireland and was unused. Um, and which was fine, and then there was this was this was so this was the height of rotation when we were you know we were just trotting out a new fifteen every week almost, and and beating whoever the hell we put in front of us. Um, um, so we were playing Ireland. Somebody got injured, so I got told, right, are you going to go to Argentina and you're going to start? So I'd been on the bench and hadn't played. So then we. Uh, uh, the other fourteen starters had nothing to. They weren't even in this Irish test, and me jumped on the plane and went over. And again, we I think we went over. You know, uh, ten days before, and the other boys came say six days. So yeah, we had a um, did a bit of training because there were only skeleton coach crew and stuff like that. And but we had a few beers on that weekend, and um, I do remember having a couple of beers with Ali Williams. That's there, yeah, and then. You know, which was kind of weird having a few beers sort of the, the week before your test debut, but, you know, everyone was sort of doing it. And to be honest, that was sort of what had worked for me worked for me so far, so why not carry on? Um, and then, you know, we got back, did, we trained, and I remember it was, quite, it was quite nice actually being in Argentina for it because you're away from all the, you know, the home pressures and, um, I don't know, the, your home media and all that sort of stuff, I suppose. It was sort of... And and Argentina, whilst they are passionate, they're not really a, a you know obviously a football nation, so um soccer nation. Um, so yeah, it was quite good. And then it was actually it was a bloody close game, as as lots of games in Argentina can be. I, I think it was Leon. I think Leon. I was on the wing and managed to get a try actually, which was um, I can't remember. Somebody popped the pass and it, it bounced off my knee and I scored. And Leon McDonald got sinbinned, and we were down to fourteen for I think we we're up by. Must have been up by six, five or six, because a penalty wasn't good enough for them. And myself and whoever was on the, the other wing, um, uh, might have been Dougie Hallett actually, maybe we were sort of having to do the back three between us. Mm. Um, and yeah, we managed to hold on. When I do, I do remember Wayne Smith coming up afterwards and saying, you know, a good job's got out there with Leon being out, etc. And I just remember thinking, I don't know, I just felt really awkward. I'd have never been good, one and good at taking praise and things like that. And I was just thinking, you know, I'm just sort of doing my job. I'm just trying to do my best sort of type thing. Um, but then, so yeah, no, that was awesome. And then I started against South Africa at, in Wellington. So my family and stuff came up to that, which was which was good. We had a good win there. Um, and then Sidavini Sidvatu, who was, who was injured, um, came back. Um, and 
yeah, I remember Graham Henry pulling me aside and saying, "Listen, he's coming back. Um, so you're going to be you're going to drop out of the this the three you know, Tri Nations squad." So again, you know, my whole life, I mean, jeez, you know, you know how good he was. So it was like, you know, yeah. it was hardly. I mean, obviously, it's disappointing to to fall out, but um, you know, I was just loving the fact I was there. Yeah. And the best the best part was actually I was still um, because I'd been selected for the squad. Um, I was still getting paid. Uh, because of the contracts or whatever happened, I don't know. My agent um, said, "Oh, yes, don't worry." You said, you, "Yeah, I've heard you've dropped, been dropped out. Unlucky, but said, don't worry. You're going to get paid for the whole time you're there." And I was like, didn't even think about it. I'm like, "Oh," because thinking, you know, once you're gone, you're gone. And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Oh, because you you've signed up for this whole time." So I'm, I'm, uh, I had a couple of weeks off. I'm uh, with me, my missus at the time. We were sitting on a beach in Fiji. And I was um, getting paid to be in the All Blacks for a couple of weeks while I was in Fiji. So it was, um, they changed the rule after me. So uh, I was the last one. So, um, um, yeah. But anyway, I took it. I took it. There's no doubt about that. Oh, that's classic. So did they give you any feedback into why um, you weren't repicked or what stopped you from being repicked eventually or was it the move overseas? Um, no, I mean, obviously at that time, so that – Bearing in mind, you looked at that 07, that 07 All Black team, um, I still think was the best squad of 30 players or whatever it is you take to a World Cup you would ever see. You know, the guys we had, and you know, and looking back, clearly the rotation didn't help because we didn't, we focused on having the best 30 players rather than the best, you know, 15 or 20. And, you know, it obviously affected us at, you know, World Cup time. But, you know, you, we had, um, Doug Howlett was in the stands, wasn't he? Um, you had Carter and Evans. You had McAllister and Major. Um, Sidovini, Rocococo, Howlett, um, Molina, McDonald. Mm. You know, we had two guys in every position. And to be honest, I wasn't good enough, mate. There's no doubt about that. They're, you know, you, who you name me, name me someone that you're putting me in ahead of. There's none of those boys that. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I was still, you know, um, I was enjoying it. You know, I was in touch with the guys, but uh, the All Blacks and stuff. But you know, I, it got to a stage where I was 28. Um, Aaron Major, who had um, who had then um, after the World Cup, he had gone to Leicester, and he gave me a call. And because Heineke Mayer, the former Bulls coach, South African fella, um, he liked me from my time when we played, you know, Super Rugby. So he asked and. We were, um, I think Leicester were close to the salary cap at the time, and so I don't really know what happened, but he, they offered me something, and I, I was always going to wait another year. I was always going to do another Super Rugby season. Um, and then I woke up one morning to an email from my agent saying they've yeah, they've agreed to what we wanted, and I, all of a sudden I was like, oh, shit, I'm off to, off to Leicester. So I, I wasn't expecting it. I, I thought we were too far, too, too far apart, but obviously I thought obviously Heineken may have, you know, he obviously did what he needed to do to get me there and um um you know the first thing I did we didn't have google maps back then I pulled out the atlas to see where the hell Leicester was to be <laughs> honest I knew obviously knew about them knew about them um you know because I knew they were a bloody good team and, and had success but I had no idea where the hell the UK it was but um so yeah then my uh myself and the fiance at the time um packed up and headed over here in November 08 Sort of back to back winters, which wasn't much fun. Um, yeah, hated it. Hated the first sort of three months. We um, we were playing sort of ball style rugby as well. We we're doing a lot of kicking, and yeah. and I found it really frustrating. Um, 
but um, it, then it changed. Then he, he Honaker had to leave for personal reasons, and the Aussie coach Matt O'Connor took over. We started playing a bit more rugby and started. I started really enjoying. We had an awesome year. We um, my first year we won the premiership and made the final of the Honaker Cup. And unfortunately, because we'd already won the Super Rugby and the MPC that year for Canterbury and the Crusaders, and then we won the premiership. And I would have won. Would have done all four in a calendar calendar year if we'd beaten Leinster, but. Some little punk called Johnny Sexton at the time that no one had bloody heard of um, kicked kicked us out of the out of the game and um, you know it was uh, yeah clearly clearly he went on to have a pretty good career as well. Mate, crazy. So what what made Lister so good? Um, similar sort of a I mean it was so as I said really different than Jesus. Mm. The Fords would just smash the hell out of each other like at training at times. Cockers Richard Cockle, who's England coach now, he was um, Lister through and through, and he was uh, yeah they. Oh, I, it was really weird because Canterbury was, you know, a bit of a less is more. You know, certainly once you get into the season, once you've done your pre-season, you come, you know, it's all about being fresh for Saturday. Whereas over here, you had to train twice. Yeah, we would do double days, Tuesday and Thursday, ahead of a game. Which I, I mean, I would always, news probably what news told you about, I used to love just heading back, you know, whenever you do drills, I'd just always head to the back of the queue and <laughs> try and do as minimum minimum amount of reps as I possibly could, um, you know, where there are certain guys, um, I, yeah, because um, we had quite a big squad, um, that was always that was always my plan. Um, and then obviously, I, I, it was quite funny, because whenever you do like contact stuff, a lot of the boys would... Uh, congregate to me because they knew that <laughs> they knew that there would be a fairly light session if you're in my group and there's one game that um stood out obviously um the kickoff when it went to the penalty shootout and i think you're called up at number four or something for leicester to noob's disgust couldn't believe you were kicking with your size 15 gilberts so the, touching on the gilberts i suppose noob's brought up the gilbert so rightio so when when i left um i left new zealand so i was going to be going through America, and they had a 40 kg limit, um, and I was like, okay, and then I was at the pub the weekend before, sort of saying, like, up my local pub in Glenmark, and um, there was a, a friend of mine that I'd went to primary school with, and her, she had gone to America with her fella, and her fella had overstayed in America, and he then got refused entry, and the thing is, when, like, when I told you I went to America, we overstayed by a month. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is the last thing I need. So I, I rang up, uh, you know, the agent and the lady that sorts the flights or whatever happened. So I ended up having to go via, uh, where changed the flight and put me through Bangkok or whatever. So I went down to a 20 kg limit. So all the, I had to cut all my stuff that I was taking over in half. And a lot of that was my playing boots. So I only took one pair over. And um, I was sponsored by Nike in New Zealand. And I thought, oh, shit, I'll come over here. Surely, you know, someone will give me free boots. But it was just, yeah, 2008, the start of the old economic downturn. So no, rugby was the first one on the chopping board. So only the big boys were getting any sort of um, sponsorship. And I was chipping around. And Sam Vesti was wearing Gilberts. I don't know if you know Sam, but he he um, he was playing. He's coaching now at Northampton, I think, Northampton Saints. But he was a, a good lad. And he goes, oh, check, sort you out with um, Gilbert. Anyway, the boots the boots were ropey, but I always thought they were right because he, they filled me up because you could only probably get about f- maybe five or six games out of them before they um, stretched too much, before they became useless. So the guy, um, so I wore Gilberts for pretty much the whole time I was there because I'm a tight bastard as well. But I mean, um, you do, you play, you know, because you're training so much and you're playing a lot, you play 
and I played 32 games, I think, in my first year, and you, you're doing probably six or seven sessions on field as well. It's um, You go through your boots. You go through your boots, mate. But, yes, I did have my Gilberts on in the penalty uh, shootout. I... Um, Noobs is still gutted that he was uh, he was behind me. He was number seven, but I was like, mate, one he's a forward, and he, he hey, listen, I know he's skillful, but he was never going to be picked ahead of me. It was all we had four kickers. Um, we had five really, Aaron Major, but Aaron Aaron had a um, he had something wrong with his leg, so he didn't really want to he didn't really want to kick um, unless it was necessary. So um, we had we had three kickers, and then. Um, it was Johnny Murphy, an Irish winger, and me. And we we were the sort of two, you know, at the end of training, we'd be messing around with the kickers and having a bit of a crack. And, yeah, we could both kick a ball, but we weren't, you know, we weren't regular match kickers or anything like that. So, um, anyway, the kicking coach said, who wants to go? And I said, I said, I'm happy to, mate, but just make a decision and we'll just roll with it. And so he said, okay, Johnny goes fourth. And I'm like, okay, sweet as. So, um, anyway, so I'm watching. And then I watched Johnny miss. And I'm like, oh shit, you know, we've just we've just lost. It's the Heineken Cup, and um, and then their fella steps up, and I still remember, and he missed as well. And I remember thinking, yes, yes. And then I was like, yes. And I was like, oh fuck, I've got a kick now because I sort of gone from gone from sort of psychologically getting myself ready to kick, to then thinking it's all over, and then all of a sudden uh, getting back up there. And because I'd only been there for a while, the I know, I know it was. It does sound a bit weird, but all I could think of was like, if I miss this, all my mates back home are going to give me so much shit, which is an awful. It's a strange thing to be thinking at the top of your run up when you've got, um, you know, all the boys you've been training with all year and all the fans in the stadium, and all I could give, all I could give a shit about was the people and all the all my Kiwi mates giving me shit from missing from the twenty two in front. But thankfully, mine went over, um, and then Newbs went over as well. So all all the major stepped up after that. So we um yeah no we did all right we did all right we uh, it was an awesome awesome night one of my favorite probably my yeah one of my favorite games actually awesome fun and favorite nights go on what happened. Oh, we just had a good bus trip. I remember being a, a we had a bus trip. And we had a few, and, and, and I remember thinking, like uh, we had the premiership final the week after. But I remember thinking, you know, this is awesome, and we had a few beers on the a bus. But most of the boys went home. There was a, just a core of about five or six of us that went into town. Um, but I was, you know, I was sort of brought up in the Crusaders way. You you celebrate your wins, um, you enjoy it, and you uh, worry about worry about next week on Monday. Don't worry about you know. Um, so we yeah, we had it. Nah, it was a good night, good bus trip on the way home. I think Newbs Newbs was Newbs was there right next to me. There's no doubt he wouldn't have um, shied away from a beer after a game like that. And then post um, Leicester, you end up going down to Coventry. Uh, what was the reason behind that move, and was that to sort of transition into the coaching? Yeah, well, I I'd always I'd never really wanted to get into coaching simply because you have no real uh, say of what you know. If you're really good, you get offered a job elsewhere. If you're shit, you get sacked, and you got to find a job elsewhere. So I had two kids. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't really want to be dragging them all around the country or wherever. Um, so I was always, I was still keen to keep playing. Um, I still, I mean, I, in my last year at Tigers, I had an operation on my knee in preseason that took me out for about seven months. So I wasn't fit until the back end of the season. And then they, um, when I was rehabbing, I got asked to help out at Coventry, help the coaching, which I did. And then when I was fit to play, I asked if I could go on loan there, and which happened. So I played for a bit, and then they, um, um, they offered me a, a, well, asked me to come back permanently the next year. But I, I mean, that was it wasn't enough to live on, and it was only part time. 
Um, so I said I, they needed a, I needed a job, so they hooked me up with a job, which is um, what I'm doing now, actually. So I've been there, yeah, what's that, six, seven, six, eight, eight years now, maybe. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so I do account management for, for a security firm. So, But, I mean, I, I got sort of lumped into a role with work, which I didn't even have a bloody clue what I was doing. Um, found it really tough. And um, but I was lucky; I had a good boss that sort of looked after me. But it, it, again, it sort of felt like all back, you know, bringing back my rugby days when you first get picked into a team. You don't think you deserve there. You think you know everyone's looking at you because you're not pulling your weight, and all those sort of um, feelings came rushing back. But and, and you're earning friggin' a quarter, half or a third of what you were earning as well. Um, you know, in my last year at Tigers and, and it's just awful man. I, I did I, I really battled mate to be honest I went through depression and all I did I've done I've done what probably a lot of ex-players have gone through I've done the gone through the depression gone through the divorce um, mm. gone through all that and um, come out the other side but it's been um, yeah those that was that year was tough like I was trying to sell a house in New Zealand the, you know the marriage was on, on the rocks um uh, our Coventry team wasn't doing as well as what it should have. Um, work was struggling, and it was just yeah, it was just it got too much for me. Got too much for me. I remember um, yeah, about I don't know about two or three months in, it was a it was a Monday, and I just wanted I broke down, broke down in the office. In, in and off, luckily it was behind closed doors, but I remember having a good old good old weep, which I never do, and um, called my boss, and he was really good about it, and he said, "Rightio," um, he said, "I said." He goes, write everything down that's troubling you, and I'll give you a call back in an hour. And we'll go through it. And I did it all, and I read it all out to him. And he goes, I don't think, I don't know about you, that doesn't sound as bad as what I think it is. And he goes, yeah. I said, yeah, you're probably right. And But he was really good. He was quite, um, took some time. He knew, because I was trying my heart out. I was trying my best, but I just felt, you know, useless. Mm-hmm. And then, but again, like like anything, you get into it for three months, four, five, six months, and it becomes the norm. You become used to everything you need to be doing. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I was mentoring in another young fellow who was starting, you know, in a similar position to me. So it all, it was, let's say it was a few steps backwards to, to take some forward. I'm certainly a lot better for it because you live in your, as you know, you live in your rugby bubble for quite some time. You're earning good money. You just need to look after yourself as long as you're, as long as you're relatively fit injury-wise and, and you're playing all right, things are going to work for you. But, um, yeah, once you hit the big bad world, it's a, it was a bit different. It was a bit harder and... Um, yeah, just all got all got a bit much, but uh, but yeah, I ended up at Cov, and then once so Cov are doing quite well now, so they they wanted a, a full time guy to take over, and they did that, which was the right thing to do, and it's proven. But, but he wanted to clear out, so he got rid of all the coaching staff and most of the players. So um, that took me to Hinkley, which was where I went to player coach. So as I said, I was still playing at Cov, and then I was player player coach at Hinkley for a while, um, and yeah, enjoyed that. It was level four over here, good good crack, great club. Real good club, um, really enjoyed it. And then I ended up being director of rugby there for a couple of seasons, and I just stepped down at the back end of last year because, um, yeah, again, I was just not not enjoying it as much. It's just hard to fit, hard to fit, kids, work, director of rugby, and then I mean I was single at the time when I started, and it was all right. And then I, you know, I've started seeing a girl now, so it just trying to fit all that in is mm. is tough. Um, so I decided to to pull it away. And how long was that process from when you finished rugby, um, that battle that you struggled with? How long was that whole process? Um, 
I would suggest. So I I finished you know the season. I mean I was injured. I didn't play, so, but I was playing cough. So that would have that would have been end of May when the season finishes over here. And then I think I started my job in August. So you're probably looking August, September, October. Probably the start's always all right, but probably September, October was my darkest darkest time. Um, yeah, I may not just wanted to be a postman or something. I was just like, this is crap. But um, yeah. you know, um, you know, as I said, I've always been that. I've always sort of been quite negative towards myself, and always felt that I was struggling. It didn't really matter what level I was at. Um, I was always been quite self-critical. But um, you know, I, I know a lot of people. A lot of people are like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's at, at my worst, mate. At my worst. I wish I'd never played rugby sure. because I blame rugby for feeling how I was because mm. I was like, if if I was used to a normal life, I wouldn't be feeling like this right now. And mm. I would have given away everything. I would have given away everything, which is looking back, it's just bizarre that you, but it's amazing how your brain works and how your mind works and gets you in, gets you in states. Um, you know, and when I think back now, if I'd get, you know, to give up my rugby, that just, you know, it's been my life. Even, even now, like, just seeing people and I play veterans rugby every now and again and you know, all the all the good fun and stuff it's given me but it's yeah that that period there I would have given it all away um but yeah like I said come out come out the other side so it's um bigger and stronger I suppose so it's all it's all good mate that's crazy to hear and what was it what was those lowest points like were you did you turn to the booze or what what did it look like how did you really know that you were struggling so bad yeah, I mean the booze was all. I mean, it's always been there for me. I, I would say I haven't handled it the best in my life. Um, it certainly got a bit, a lot better of late. But I, I, I always found it as a good release. I always found, um, like I said, I, I didn't have a lot of confidence. Never really did. But obviously, after a few scoops, you're full of confidence, and you get. I certainly get a you know couple of bowls of loudmouth soup down me, and people can hear me from anywhere. So I, I did certainly use it as a um as a release um but it it yeah i mean there's yeah there are plenty of plenty of plenty of nights that you look back and shake your head and wonder what the hell you're doing um and but again that that sort of relates back to um not just uh work but you know relationship troubles and all that stuff you just want to get away and um mm. yeah i mean I, I hear lots of people talk about it and it, and it is and it, like now because i've been through the crap um what I find is the best for me now. Whilst, yeah, don't get me wrong, I love a beer still, but it's exercise. Um, now, because I'm not doing any rugby or anything like that, you know, if I don't go to the gym or go for a run or something, and if I spend a week or ten days doing nothing, and then I have a shit day, it really, it really makes me feel worse. But if I get out and go for a run, it really helps me. Just exercise helps, and that's why I love. You know, I try and play. Like when I finished, I, I was always, oh, vets rugby. You know, why would you want to play that? But you know, awesome, and you meet so many lads you know some ex-pros or some just ex, ex-players just just good lads that you can have a beer with and I, I do Amsterdam tournament every year just did that um early early June this year that's awesome you know you go over there play some vets footy you get pissed at the night you roll out of bed go again try and try and win the try and win on finals day and then have a big night and then fly fly out and go home again and that you mean I've I've met so many mates through that and that actually the vets rugby was something that really helped me because that was when i was really struggling um you know with the with the um you know the the divorce and all that sort of crap and i was sort of again you know i was sitting on the couch and 
didn't want to go to the pub and didn't want to do anything, didn't want to see mates, just wanted to watch TV, just wanted to be by myself. And it wasn't really until I, I went to this vet's. I didn't know didn't know a soul, just just meeting people was there for like three nights, had awesome trip. And then, you know, still on a WhatsApp group, you know, and you jump around if you're in different, if someone's in this neighbourhood or you're up there, you you know, you catch up, you say hello. And it's, you know, rugby's such an awesome, uh, you know, way of networking and just, just catching up. It's mm. awesome. So it was, yeah, rugby... I can't get enough. I mean, not just rugby. I suppose any team sports the same. But yeah, I think it's massive. It's um, rugby's been bloody awesome. Can't can't uh, can't thank it enough, mate. It's so cool and so so powerful to hear you um, speak about that because I know how common that is. Um, that post rugby depression and uh, that transition is so hard for so many players. So I'm sure so many people find that very beneficial to hear. But as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions and. I mean, a lot of these have come in from noobs um, and a lot of other followers from around the world, but uh, we'll try and race through a few of these um, to finish. Uh, first question is, obviously a lot were about the nickname Bubbles. We've covered that, but the next one, what is your best jug scale time? You must go pretty quick, do you? Oh, mate, no, I struggle. I struggle. I am good up to about a, a seven, seven ounce, <laughs> maybe a 12 if you're lucky. Anything more than that, then I'm a real battler. <laughs> I remember have, I, I've never timed. I'd never be good, mate. I my big concern is if I get given something like that, is to set it aside. It needs to be relatively close to warm temperature because I, I struggle struggle with the the coldness. That's why actually, if you're going to give me something, give me a Guinness because then I know I can um, I can get through that without getting a bloody headache <laughs> or something. No, I'm not. I'm not a jug skiller. I'll finish it. Don't get me wrong. I'll you know slow and steady wins the race. I'll get there, but I'm not. I'm not setting any bloody land speed records. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Okay, next one is sleeping on artificial grass comfortable. Apparently, there's a few photos to prove this. Artificial? No, I think there was just grass. Actually, it was grass. <laughs> that, yeah, well, well, it depends what you. I'm, I'm trying to. That's the least. That's the incident that I remember. I can't remember them all, but. Uh, I think sleeping is comfortable wherever you get, because as we all know, sleeping is the best form of recovery. Um, and so wherever you can get it, you get it. That's sort of my motto. I, I'm uh, certainly in my old age. I am prone to having a little nap in the in the corner of a pub. Um, uh, if uh, just sort of to give myself a little fifteen minute power nap, um, I'm a big advocate for that. Still do it. Um, and the way I also said, if you're sleeping, you can't cause any trouble. <laughs> Oh, I like that's probably good advice for um, some of the listeners out there. Okay, <laughs> next one. Um, tell us a story from the Amsterdam tens. No phone, no wallet in a bush. Yeah, so that was my second trip to Amsterdam. So I, I, I not sure what happened to be honest. We had a massive night, <laughs> and I'm I'm dressed up as uh, Goose from Top Gun. So I got the old because it was fancy dress. Every the last night's always fancy dress, and I I literally wake up walking down the street if you know what I mean my first memory is walking down a street and I'm like Jesus what the hell's going on I've got no wallet no phone thinking okay so I know where I'm staying so I, I get in a managed to get a taxi he um he takes me back to uh the hotel I have to ring wake up my roommate to get him to pay the taxi driver and bearing in mind we're le- I'm leaving that day and I'm like I've got no phone no wallet I'm like radio so I get someone's find my iPhone and then that that shows like some grassy area just out of town. So clearly I've taken my love of sleeping to this grassy area. I assume, unless someone's pickpocketed me and thrown it out or something. Anyway, so I get a taxi there to try and thinking if I can find my phone, I'll find my wallet. 
Anyway, searching around, searching around, searching around. Can't bloody find it. Oh, shit. And then I'm like, right, I've got to catch my flight. And so I go back to the room, pack everything up, get to the airport, and then realise I've left my passport in the hotel safe. Ah, got to head back again. <laughs> get the thing, and then I get back to the airport, and now I'm like, going to be late. And the lady tells me, yep, you need to go down this end of the airport. And I rush down there and look around, and I'm like, I can't see where I'm meant to be. And then I ask someone else, and I've been given wrong advice. I'm down the other end of the airport. So anyway, I miss my flight. I missed my flight. I'm now in Amsterdam Airport with a passport, and that's all I've got. Obviously my kit, but my passport. So I've got no wallet, no phone, um, and no way of getting home, obviously, because none of my teammates, all they've, they're they not at the airport. I don't even know you know who's there and who's around, and I've got no contacts whatsoever, and I'm thinking, rightio, and I'm bearing in mind, hungover, so not really. And I'm thinking, so I sort of take myself somewhere. I sit down, I think, right, what are you going to do here, Scott? You got it, and I said, right. Well, you need some money to. So I went to ask, can I buy a ticket? Yeah, you can buy a ticket. What's it worth? Two hundred euros. Okay, okay. So then I went to Burger King, and there were these some young English lads there, and I was just sort of trying to find someone. And I said, I said, right, our fellas, um, I've got a predicament. Told them the story. <laughs> I said, I need to borrow two hundred euros. Um, I will transfer the money if you give me your phone. I'll transfer your money. Call the bank. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and they looked at me suspiciously, as you would. Um, and then one of them goes, okay, mate, I'll help you out because I'd like to think someone would help me out if I was in your situation. I said, bloody good bloke. So I gave him I gave him an extra 20 euros to pay for his bloody Burger King. Anyway, got my money, brought my ticket, and got home. So I was quite proud of myself to be able to actually uh, make my way back to uh, get my back into the way back into the UK. Um, bit like the amazing race, to be honest, mate. I felt I felt quite quite chuffed myself when I got home. Did you ever find your wallet or phone? No. No, I've been through a few wallets and phones. That's that's actually a, probably a really good barometer of where you are uh, as a where you are personally is how many wallets and phones you've been through of late. So to be honest, I I went through a lot through that period that we just spoke about. But I don't think I've lost a wallet or a phone for about five years. So I think that shows I'm in a much better place than what I used to be. It used to be probably a, a an annual occurrence. Oh, it's good stuff. Okay, next question. Uh, this question's from our major sponsor, Swish. If you could get a video shout-out from any celebrity, who would it be and why? Oh, a video shout-out. Oh, good question. I would take someone probably funny, mate. I'd like someone, someone like Will Ferrell or someone oh, like that. Yeah. I was thinking I don't really care about sportsmen too much. It would yeah. be it'd be someone someone funny like that. That'd probably be where I'd go. He'd, you know, I do enjoy him. Mate, Will Ferrell, absolutely. Okay, next one. Fastest white dude you've ever played with. This guy said you were white lightning. <laughs> fastest white dude. I thought my fastest dude, Sidavini Sivavatu, was unbelievable. I remember I played an all-black trial again. I know he's not white, clearly, but he, I remember coming, and I was at 15 or a wing. I can't remember, but he broke the line. And he just came up, squared me up, and then took me on the outside. And I remember just doing the token, I'm going for your ankle tap, but knowing that I was nowhere near, <laughs> you know, wasn't even near. And I just remember that day thinking, Jesus, you know, I am, I'm way off the pace, way off the pace. Fastest white dude. I always used to have um, big old battles with old Tim, Tim Mickelson, the old uh, sevens player when he was at Waikato. He was a big white fella like me, so I used to remember. And then my other, my other sort of was Petey Hewitt, my, oh, yeah. um, my nemesis. Um, he was at the, he was at New South Wales, Waratahs for a while. 
and uh, he actually came over here. He played for London Norris. I played him over here a couple of times. But I used to always used to see him as my nemesis, just because he was another white winger. But actually, when I got to meet him, he was a bloody good bloke. But um, yeah, the other one, Brent Ward. I remember when he um, Brent Ward. He's a bloody good lad. Um, played against him and with him. I lived with him actually for a bit of time when he came down to the Crusaders. He was another another uh, white outside back. There's not many of us, mate. Not many of us <laughs> kicking around in New Zealand rugby. <laughs> mate, you just named all the white battlers. How good was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay, uh, next question. What do you remember about the Kasabin concert? <laughs> not much, to be honest. See, that was, again, uh, I'd say that's in my tough time. I, I thought it'd be a really good idea to sneak a... Um, uh, vodka in in my one liter water bottle, and then uh, obviously got overexcited and ended up having a nap in the middle of um, well not in the middle of it sort of out the back somewhere but um, um, yeah somewhere I, I what came to in the uh, St John's ambulance but again it was a it was a, a another one of my low times James mate I'm not going to lie um, that was probably that'd be a top. It could be a top three, I think, low moment for me, that one or that one. So I, I prefer not to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> is it true Is it true? a fan took a um, photo of you, <laughs> blackmailed you to put it on Twitter or something? Yeah, he, somebody, somebody said, I can't remember what the question was. Somebody said something about, oh, on Twitter or something, and said, Scott, where are you? And then he took a picture. I found him and took a picture of me on the ground. <laughs> And then I was, oh, and then the next day I, I contacted him. I said, listen, mate, I know it's a laugh, but I'd appreciate you taking that down. It's not really going to do. I said, I know it's all my fault, blah, 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 blah. I wasn't aggressive about it or anything because obviously yeah. it's my fault. But I said, can you take it down, mate? Because, um, and he, to be fair to him, he did. So um, I've got no idea who it was. But yeah, it, it wasn't, as I said, not my not my finest. Um, I was going to say not my finest hour, but probably not my finest two or three hours. <laughs> but you kept your phone and wallet. Didn't lose those. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I don't. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. It was more. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's. Um, it was one of those ones that. Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, even still, like to be honest, now because Kasabian's a big Leicester band and it's massive, but I can I cannot like any of their songs simply because of that incident because it just reminds me and I feel you know just you just get that cringe feeling of. Um, Every now and again, you know, you'll just be in a car somewhere and it comes on, you're like, oh, and that's all I think of, which is, you know, again, not the uh, not the best, but, um, yeah, such is life. We all make mistakes, mate. Oh, do we what? That's classic. Okay, next one. This one's post-LV Cup final versus Northampton. Apparently, you've got a Land Rover testing the next day. Talk me through this one. Um, so, we won the LV Cup final, um, and I had a bit of blue with the 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 wife at the time and um I ended up not being allowed in so I crashed around at the old mate so noobs had just been through a, a um he, he he went through his probably about a, two years before I did maybe a bit longer but um but anyway so I crashed at noobs's place and because I woke up and we had to be at this Land Rover thing the next day and it was a team building because it was so the LV Cup final for it so it's um Oh, it's like the third best thing you can win, and it happened. The final was um, sort of towards the back end of the season, so we yeah. still had plenty of rugby left. So it wasn't like it's the final and you're on it and you're done. But we had a big night at the local pub and crashed at Nubes' place, and then we um, 
we had Landry, and obviously we're all in our number ones because that's what we're wearing. And I had nothing else to wear, so I, I woke up in my number one. Newbs was like, "Come on, we got to go." And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't really want to go home, so I was like, "Okay." So we um, we um, I just turned up to the Jaguar Land Rover testing at ten o'clock uh, with my uh, number ones on. And um, everyone else has obviously been changed out and whatever. Everyone was looking at me, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, wow, long story. But in short, I don't have any other clothes to wear. I don't know why I didn't borrow some manoeuvres, to be honest, but I hadn't. Obviously, clearly wasn't thinking the, the, the quickest. Um, and and everyone else was driving, and I just sat in the back, and they were like, do you want to drive? And I'm like, no, nah, mate, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all good back here. You can just – and it was like one of those slow things up and down and going all over the place. And there was also a clay pigeon shoot and things like that. So we did all that, but – um, so yeah, it was. I tell you, what, it was a good. Was well up until uh, up until the 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 obligatory um, argument after a night on the booze. It was a good night. It was an awesome game. You know, I scored a try in the final, so I loved it. But I've just uh, yeah again probably uh, one too many points proved my undoing. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay, two more, two more questions. Um, tell us about the all inclusive holiday in Egypt with the missus. <laughs> Don't know this one. <laughs> See that's, another, see, that's another one in the top three, actually. So we ended up, I could have sworn, like, we had all-inclusive, and I was just sitting there. I hadn't actually had that much to drink, and it was early <laughs> doors, but then, for whatever reason, I don't know if, it, I don't know what had happened, but I don't know if there was some sort of, and I, I hate to say this, because everyone goes spikage or something, but I hadn't had enough to worry. It wasn't like I'd been there all day, you know, we'd been out doing stuff, but anyway, I, I lost the guts and ended up um, falling asleep in the toilet for some reason. <laughs> Which again, that's that's very unique to me. Normally, I find a nice bit of grass or a sofa <laughs> or, or something. So I don't know what the hell would happen there. I still, I still, yeah, I'm still a bit dubious about that one. I know, I know. Obviously, I've got a, a fair bit of uh, incriminating evidence and a bit of bad background, but I don't think that was a hundred percent. I still think there's something fishy on that one. But um, yeah, that didn't that didn't uh, obviously go down very well either. With, um, with yeah, it was a uh, it was a to be honest though, great outside of that night, great trip, mate, great trip. Fully recommend it. We went to Sharm El Sheikh and then we took a day trip, saw the pyramids and all that. So that was a good it was a good uh it was a good trip outside of the um outside of that one one night. We were doing yeah, I don't know, all inclusive as you see, but it, it just uh the wheels mm. fell off very, very quickly, unfortunately. The problem the big problem was I was telling a um English fella about how um a lot of the boys in England, like, um, don't really give a crap about, like, whatever, they just sort of drink and it's all about, you know, the, the rugby culture. The same as the rugby culture over here. Like, in New Zealand, a lot of the partners will get involved, um, mm. you know, and that's how it is. But in England, it's like, ah, oh, no, it's boys, boys, boys. It's always boys, 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 which I've always found is a bit awkward because it's just, easy. I mean, obviously, you have some a good thing about New Zealand. You have the old way trip. You can have it just with boys, but when you're at home, you know, the partners are there and that was always how it was and I think that's how it should be. But, um um, yeah, and I was just saying how, you know, I was sort of bagging, bagging the people, the English and all that, and saying how they, you know, just did whatever they wanted on the piss, and then I was the one um, sleeping in the in the toilet at the end of it. So clearly I didn't follow when I, when I uh, didn't practice what I preached. <laughs> oh, so good. And you said that we've got two of your top three worst moments. What's, what's the other one? <laughs> well, I've got one. Actually, I was surprised this was another. So this is my first one. So we... we um, um, this is more humorous though, so whilst it is embarrassing, at least it ended. At least it ended well. Um, so we, 2003, we had just lost to the Blues in um, in the Super Rugby final, and we flew back. We'd all headed into Christchurch, and 
got on it hard and I um um I've got a horrible tendency if I can't wait for a taxi if there's nothing there my mind is oh, I'll find one and you, I just go walking which is the stupidest thing in the world because clearly you want to stay in the most built up area to get a taxi and I've done it plenty of times because I just for whatever <laughs> reason I get in my mind that I'm going to solve this issue anyway so I did that and I'm walking down um um I can't like Manchester Street or something heading out towards that way and obviously I get halfway there and all of a sudden I'm like I need to sleep I'm done I can't find anything and clearly what I've done is that there was a girl or someone had um walked and just walked into a house and I've obviously seen it and gone okay and I've got no recollection of this whatsoever so I um uh, I, I'll go in the door and I she's obviously gone to bed or whatever and I've just gone to sleep on the couch in the front front living room very similar to what um who did it down in Queenstown was it Xavier Rush or Norm Hewitt or someone did something like that but they you know they they were plastered all over the Herald you see so mine again mine ended up quite nicely so again I've got no idea obviously we'd all had a skinful and then the fella the son comes down in the morning and I'm done up in my crusader number ones and he goes up wakes up his old man and goes Dad, Dad, there's a crusader on the couch. And I'm like, oh, oh it's a kid. I'm, he's like, what the hell? And he comes down. Anyway, he calls someone, and our physio comes to get me. And so this must have been early, like 6 or something in the morning. And, again, still no recollection. So I, I, I wake up in my bed thinking, oh, yeah, I've made it home. Sweet as, no troubles here. We obviously start having a few beers again um, because it's the end of the season. And the physio comes around and he goes, oh, he starts looking at me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, what do you mean? And he goes, don't you remember? I said, remember what? He goes, where'd you wake up? I said, in my room. He goes, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, I did. Anyway, so he tells me the whole story of what, what happened. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, awful. Anyway, so I get this guy's number. And he's, um, you know, I'm obviously really apologetic. And I, um, I get him one of my jerseys, I get it signed and, you know, I give him a TAB vetting voucher. I give him quite a bit of stuff because obviously it could have gone pear-shaped. I can't really, I, yeah, I gave him a, you know, match jersey, TAB, a few other things, bottle of wine or some beers or something. So I took it round to him. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he goes, he said, yeah. He said, it's all right. He said, to be honest, mate, in all of the houses and all of Christchurch, mine was probably a pretty good one to come into. And I'm like, yeah, you know, because I mean, imagine, you know, as I said, I was bloody lucky. To be honest, that's been kept relatively quiet until now, probably. But um, like I said, I don't know who the gentleman was, um, but bloody good bloke, clearly. And um, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is good stuff. That guy, he did save it. Absolute lad. That is, a, that is a good play from him. Okay, last question. Best piece of advice you have for a water lad listener? You've given heaps throughout this episode already. Looking forward to this. Oh, best piece of advice. Um, yeah, look, uh, it depends, but for me, and it de- I always think it sort of depends on what kind of the person you are, but you've got to look after yourself first. You've got to be happy first um, mm. for me, and I've sort of taken a while. You, you, you've obviously got lots of things going on in your life, but unless you're happy, you're not going to make the people around you happy. And um, and obviously, you know, the, everything's give and take and you've got to do certain things and you've got to look after yourself sometimes and, and look after other people but you know if, certainly if you're going through some shitty times you've got to look after yourself you've got to work out what makes you uh, makes you happy and having gone like I said I I, I always was a bit sceptical about depression really I mean I knew it was there but I was like oh you know just the normal Kiwi bloke attitude you just crack on you get over it until till I went through it um, and then you know you realise I suddenly realise now why people do what they do 
Um, and like I said, it was a shit time, but, um, you know, I've come out a lot more understanding of myself and, and of other people, I suppose. So, yeah, I don't want to get too bloody serious, but I think, you know, with all, with all the shit that's going on in the world at the moment, you got to look after yourself, um, back yourself. I think most people, I would say friggin' 90% of the population, uh, uh, think they are not as good as what other people, you know, or what as good as what other people probably perceive you to be. Because mm. I know myself, you tend to focus on, always have focused on the shit you did wrong and the shit you need to... Um, you need to get better at rather than the the stuff that's really good. I always remember, like Wayne Smith when he was in the All Blacks. You know, he's like, um, focus on your strengths. You don't you don't just practice your weaknesses. You want to make your strengths stronger as well. And I'd never really thought of that because you're always drilled into your you know work on your weaknesses, practice your left foot, do this, do that. Whether it's you know you do, it's, I always always one thing I've always remember you know always work on your strength thing. That same as in life, you know, yeah you're. Most most people are good blokes, and you've got to make sure you look after yourself. Look after yourself mentally and physically. Certainly, I like I said, you know, I like to. I'm certainly never been a gym bunny. Never like to be overly fit. But I, if I don't do exercise, it affects me mentally, and it's it's massive for me. And I, you know, and the other thing is, you're a long time retired, mate. So play for as long as you bloody well can. <laughs> Mate, mate, love that advice. So much in that. There's everything in that advice and so much in that podcast as well. Obviously, um, hell of a rugby journey from the third 15 to becoming an all black. What a pathway. Um, a little bit more serious stuff there with the transition and obviously a hell of a lot of diesel yarns um, because it sounds like you've had a hell of a time on the piss with some of the lads over your career. But, mate, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Been awesome to catch up with a fellow white battler and um, obviously someone who I was called the first few years of my career. So it's been awesome to um, have a yarn with you. No worries, mate. No, much appreciated. So I'm, yeah, I'm heading back to Christmas, uh, heading back to New Zealand Christmas. So hopefully to catch up for anyone's around, like charging into Christchurch for a couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. Mate, and if anyone sees you out in the town, um, offer him a bed so he doesn't have to sleep on the grass. <laughs> Uh, I, I like to think I'm a changed man now, mate. You know, I'm in my forties now, a little bit more, <laughs> you know, slightly more mature. No, I appreciate it. Good man. Cheers, buddy. What a lad, what a lad.